Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can come before you and we can invite you to speak to us. And so I pray that your word may come alive this evening, that you will speak to our hearts and to our minds, and that the truth of your gospel may go forth unhindered. For this is my prayer in your precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Romans. This has been our uh, book of study during this week together. And uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 4. And this is where we're going to continue this evening. We have discovered so far in our time together that Paul uses really the first three chapters of the book of Romans to emphasize and show the condition of humanity and our great need for Christ, our great need for salvation. He pictures graphically the condition of humanity without Jesus. And uh, it's not a very flattering picture, not at all. As a matter of fact, the first three chapters make it very clear that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God, that we are all under the condemnation of God's law. But then we are introduced to the person Jesus Christ as we come towards the end of chapter 3. And the gospel really revolves around the person Jesus. He lived a perfect life fulfilling the law, and then he suffered the penalty of the breaking of the law, which is death. So he bore our sins and paid the price for them so that when we put our faith in him, we are no longer under the condemnation of the law, but Jesus stands in our place. But then Paul asks a very important question when he comes to the end of chapter 3. And we're going to look at chapter 3, verse 31, and this is going to be kind of the platform for us to launch right into chapter 4. So look at Romans chapter 3 and verse 31. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So Paul asks a very important question. Well, if, if it's all about putting faith in Jesus, if it's all about putting our confidence in Christ and not our confidence in our own abilities or works, if it's about faith in Jesus, what is then the role of the law? Do we make void the law? But then he answers his own questions and he says, certainly not. He says, on the contrary, we establish the law. But the law is no longer established in our own efforts, in our own works, with our own little checklist, as we talked about. But now, the law is fulfilled because of our confidence in Jesus, our trust and faith in Jesus, to perform those works in us, to live his life in us. And this is what we're going to get into in chapter 4 as it gives us a very practical example because you might say, well, you know, I'm, I still have a hard time like connecting all these theological dots. And that's why scripture gives us some very practical examples. And in chapter 4, we have a person that went through this experience. And that's what we're going to look at this evening. And it's the person Abraham. Romans chapter 4 revolves around the person Abraham. And so let's take a look at this. We'll just pick it up right there in verse 1. Romans chapter 4 beginning in verse 1. What then shall we say that Abram our father was found according to the flesh? It's a question. For if Abram was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham, what does it say in your Bible? What did he do? 
He believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Verse 4. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So what Paul is saying here is, let's, he's bringing to the attention of the believers to Abraham, the person Abraham. Now, how was it with Abraham then? Did he, was he found righteous before God because of all the good works that he did? This is basically the question. And the answer is no. Because in and of ourselves, we've already established that in the first three chapters of the book of Romans, in and of ourselves, we, we can't boast of anything. As a matter of fact, we fall all under the condemnation of God's law. And how much we try, we can try over and over again to, you know, fill out the checklist of God's commandments, but we will always come short. We will always, if we truly look at the law in its magnitude, we will always fall short. We will always remain sinners in the sight of God. There's no ability in and of ourselves to actually keep the law. It's an impossibility. But we don't stop there. The gospel doesn't stop there. But we can fulfill the law, there's only one way, by allowing Jesus to fulfill it in us. It's a power outside of ourselves. And so Paul is saying, you know, Abraham was not justified by his works. As a matter of fact, we're going to look in a moment at the life of Abraham, and we will find out that Abraham had a, had a moment in his life, more than one moment, where he tried with his own works to be justified before God, but it didn't really work very well. Abram had to learn a very pivotal question that you and I also must learn, and that's simply to trust Jesus and to trust that Christ and his life can be lived out in us, and there's no other way for us to establish the law. We cannot boast of any works in and of ourselves. No, Abraham was justified not by works, not by his own works, but he was, he, was made, he was justified by faith. And that's, where, that's what we read right there in verse 5. I'm going to read it again. Listen to this. Verse 5. But to him who does not work but believes on him, capital H, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So we put our confidence in Christ and his works. And it's interesting because, listen to this, the true gospel includes works, but it's not our works, but his works. Amen? So it's not that the true gospel is without works, but whose works are they? Obviously, we must put our confidence in the works of Jesus and not in our own. Now, in uh, Romans chapter 4, we have a very practical example in the life of Abram where he had to um, uh, fully uh, put his confidence in God's promise. Because God was, was telling him something, was giving him a promise that, that, humanly speaking, seemed impossible. And this revolves around the promise that Abraham received, as well as his wife Sarah, that they would have a son. Now, when this promise was given, and you can read this in the, in the first book of the Bible, in the story of Genesis, when the promise was given, they were both at, old, at an old age. And humanly speaking, they could no longer have a child. It was impossible impossible. And yet this promise is given by God, you, Abraham, Sarah, 
You together are going to have a child. Remember this promise that uh, when Abram, he was taken outside um, and the Lord was speaking to him and the Lord said to him, look up into the stars. And, and Abram looked up and you can just imagine one of those beautiful nights where you just, you see nothing but stars. I'm sure that you can experience that out here when you don't have much lights around you. Just beautiful scenery of so many stars. And then God says to Abram, as those stars, so shall your descendants be. This was the promise. Now, when the promise was given, the fulfillment of that promise seemed impossible. I mean, how could Abram and Sarah at an old age ever have a child? And the only thing that they could do is believe a promise that, humanly speaking, seemed impossible. But as we know, um, the story goes there in the book of Genesis, you can read it, Abraham and Sarah come up with a good idea, what they believed to be a good idea. They thought that, yes, okay, God has given this amazing promise, but let's help God to establish this promise because obviously he needs our help. He needs our works. And so what did they do? They came up with this plan. Sarah said to Abraham, you know what? Why don't you have a child with my maidservant, Hagar, and uh, this will be certainly the child that God meant with his promise that we we're going to have a child. And so uh, they have a child. And does anyone remember the name of that child? Ishmael, Ishmael exactly. Ishmael. And uh, when they have the child Ishmael, Ishmael grows up. And uh, again, the Lord speaks to Abram and says to Abram, you and Sarah are going to have a child. And Abram says, yeah, but look, Ishmael, may Ishmael live before you, he says. And again, God reiterates the promise, no, you and Sarah are going to have a child. And eventually it comes to the point where Abraham and Sarah, they have to believe this promise, though it's humanly speaking, seems impossible. And they do believe that promise eventually. And they have a child. And what's the name of that child? Isaac, exactly. Do you know that Paul, in his letter to the, to the Galatians, and we're not going to go there now for time's sake, but in the book of Galatians chapter 4, Paul takes these two sons of Abraham, Ishmael, that was the son of the servant Hagar, and Isaac, which was the son of Abram and Sarah, and he uses these two sons to illustrate the two covenants in Scripture. Now, a covenant is an agreement between two parties. And, and when you look at the theme of Scripture, there's a theme that runs all the way through from Genesis to Revelation, and that is the theme of God's covenant. He wants to establish an agreement with us. And, and Paul uses this beautiful analogy to say, now this is, what, these, what, this is the two covenants that we see uh, in this narrative of Scripture, in this story. And so often we fall in the category of the Ishmael covenant or what is also termed the old covenant in which we believe that we must do something in our own strength, in our own efforts in order to help God establish his promise. But Paul is over and over in his letters uh, trying to bring us to the point that we see that it's nothing in us that we can bring to God. We must trust fully in the promise of God. And this is illustrated by the son Isaac because it was nothing that Abraham and Sarah could do to have that son. I mean, it was nothing that they humanly could do to make it happen. It was God's miracle in their lives that enabled them to have that child. And so we see here a picture of the two covenants. And the covenant that God wants you and I to enter into is the covenant of implicit trust 
in the Word of God, even though it may seem impossible. Uh, I like the illustration, um, or it's actually a true story in Scripture, but I think also it is very... Um, it is a great illustration of how this plays out in our lives. And that is when the disciples were um, on the water, they were, they, they were um, out in the boat, and one of the disciples was Peter, and you remember that Jesus came walking to the boat, and he was walking on water. Now, walking on water is something that is, humanly speaking, impossible, right? And Peter sees Jesus walking on the water, and Jesus calls out to Peter and says, come, and because of the word of Jesus, which has power, Peter trusted that word that, okay, if Jesus says come, then I will go. Because what he commands, he is also able to, uh, to establish. And so he steps out of the boat and he actually does something that is, humanly speaking, impossible. He walks on water. Now, Peter, like you and I, had a sinking nature. By nature, he sinks. Right? He cannot walk on water. Just like you and I, by nature, have a sinful nature. That means that we tend to sin. If there's anything that we are good at as human beings, it's sinning. It seems to be very natural. It's just, this is just what we do, and, and we find it very clearly established in the book of Romans in the first chapters that, yeah, all, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We sin, but when we put our confidence in Jesus and we believe his promise, we can do what, humanly speaking, is impossible. And like Peter walks on water, so we can walk in obedience to the law of God. And do you know that it's just as impossible, human speaking, to walk on water than it is to keep the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments? just as impossible. But it is because we have confidence in Christ and it's because of his perfect life that is now lived in us and we trust his promise and we act in obedience upon his promise that we're doing something that is humanly speaking impossible. And the beautiful thing about this is that when we claim God's promises, when we step out in faith, this is what God remembers about us. Now, um, here in Romans chapter 4, and I just love this part of, of, of this study, when you read about the experience of Abraham, you read about the faith that he had in God. Now, now, when I read this passage, when I read it the first time, I thought to myself, you know what? I remember a different story about Abraham. I mean, I remember that he doubted God first. But obviously, here in the book of Romans, as Paul writes under the inspiration of God, what he brings to our attention is not the time that Abraham doubted God, but what God remembers is the faith that Abraham had in his promise. Let's, let's read it together. Romans chapter 4, and take a look at verse, we'll pick it up in verse 17. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, talking about Abraham, in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Verse 18, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 21, listen to this language. And being fully convinced 
that what he had promised, he was able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. And the first time I read that, I thought, uh, Paul, don't you remember that, that, that Abraham doubted the promise of God? Don't you remember that he, he actually, you know, uh, agreed with Sarah uh, and that they had a child with the maidservant of Sarah? Like, like, why don't we find that here? And this is the beautiful thing. And I entitled this message this evening, What Does God Remember? What Does God Remember? My friends, when we put our confidence in the promise of God, God remembers your faith. Now, can you say amen to that? Isn't that amazing that here we have an inspired record of the life of Abram? And what does it say? He did not waver at the promise of God. He was fully convinced. He um, put his trust in God's word, in God's promise. It's so beautiful. Remember the thief on the cross. His whole life was a mess. It had, people that looked at him and, and, the, and the way that he was dying on the cross there, they thought, he, this guy, it was better if he would never been born. And yet what he turns to Jesus and his last words are, Jesus, remember me, right? When thou comest to the kingdom, remember me. And Jesus assures him that he will remember him. And what does God remember about the thief on the cross? His faith. Not all, not all the bad things that he did in his life, but God decides to remember the faith of that man on the cross. Isn't that amazing? God will, will, will remember your faith when you put your confidence in him. As a matter of fact, God has promised as part of his covenant why don't, we, why don't we quickly go there? You can keep your finger in Romans chapter 4. Let me, let me show you what, what the covenant of God is all about. We looked at these verses yesterday, but we're going to look at another angle. Um, we're going to come in on, uh, from another angle um, this evening. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews the 10th chapter, and look at verse 16 and 17. This is the covenant that God wants to establish with you and with me. This is the agreement that God wants with you and with me. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16 and 17. We read the following. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. We talked about that yesterday, how God does the work of taking his commandments, and instead of us being under the condemnation of the law, he takes those same commandments, and now he places them in our hearts, and we are no longer under the condemnation of the law because now the law is established in us as the life of Jesus is established in us. But look at, look at the covenant as it continues because verse 17 says... Then he adds, so not only is he going to write the law in our hearts and in our minds, but he adds, verse 17, their sins and their lawless deeds, what does it say in your Bible? I will remember no more. That is beautiful. That is powerful. My friends, when you enter into this agreement with God, God says, okay, I'm going to do two things for you. I'm going to write my law in your heart in your mind. In other words, you, you can't keep my law. It's impossible for you, but I will do something in your life. I will bring, Jesus says, I will live my life in you, and Jesus' perfect obedience is now manifesting your life. It's his works that are now manifested in you when you believe that promise. And then on top of that, he says, you know, about all those things of your past, I will remember them no more. Blotted out. Gone. 
What I will remember is your trust in me. What I will remember is that you hold on to the promise no matter what. No matter what it looks like, you hold on to that promise. Even if it looks impossible, you hold on to that promise. Even though it takes a long time, hold on to that promise. Even though, even though all things, all odds seem against you, you hold on to that promise. Don't let go. And if you don't let go, the life of Jesus will be made manifest in your life and your sins will be remembered no more. But you got to hold on to the promise. Abram and Sarah had to hold on to the promise that they would have a child. Even though it seemed impossible, they had to cling to that promise. And you and I have to cling to the promises of the gospel. And only when we cling to the promises of God's word will the gospel go unhindered in our life. Now let's look at something else here quickly before we close. I'm not going to draw it out tonight, so so it's not going to be as long as yesterday evening. But I want to bring out one more thought before we close. Um, When we look at the life of Abraham... There were two significant moments in the life of Abraham. One we just looked at, and that was the promise that he would receive a son, and he did eventually receive a son with Sarah. But there was a second significant moment in the life of Abraham where he had to put implicit trust in God. Does anyone know what I'm, what I'm thinking about? What was that? Yes, okay, that's also a very good one. That was actually even before. Uh, we could definitely add that one, but I'm thinking of another one. Yes, the sacrifice of his son Isaac. So here he has his son. His son is growing up. And then we read in uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 22, you can read the story, that God asks, Isaac, uh, asks Abraham to take his son Isaac to go to Mount Moriah and to sacrifice his son there. And again, we find in this story the, the, the trust that Abraham has in the promise of God. Why don't we just quickly go there, Genesis chapter 22, and there's a specific verse here that I want you to take notice of, the trust that Abraham had in the promise of God. Genesis chapter 22, and Abraham is making his way to Mount Moriah with his son Isaac and several of the servants, and they come to the, um, they come to the foot of the mountain, And now um, Abram takes Isaac and he goes up this mountain. The servants are left behind at this point. But just before they make their way up the mountain, Abram says something very interesting to the servants there. Uh, Look at verse 5, I believe it is. Verse 5. And Abram said to the young men, these are the servants that were with them, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder to worship and I will come back to you. Is that what it says? What does it say in your Bible? And we will come back to you. Hadn't God spoken to Abram that he had to sacrifice his son? And yet Abram says, we will come back. Why? Because Abram now believes that God is going to do a miracle. He does not know what that miracle is going to be like, but even if he would have to take the the life of his son, he has such uh, implicit trust in the promise of God that even though his son's life would be taken, that God could resurrect his son again or or that God could provide another way. He did not know what that way was going to be, but he trusted that he was going to come back with his son. Implicit trust in the promise of God. And they come to the top of Mount Moriah, and uh, you remember the rest of the story. Abram is about to take the life of his son, but he is trusting that God is going to intervene. 
This is not the will of God that he takes his son, and yet at that very moment, God intervenes and, God's, and God points Abram to a ram that was stuck with his horns in, in the bush there, and the ram replaces Isaac, which is again a phenomenal picture of the gospel because our efforts and our sacrifices will never be enough. They'll never be enough. I mean, it's again, what can we bring to God? God provides the sacrifice. We cannot provide the sacrifice. And God is teaching this very lesson in this whole story. And the ram is again a picture of Jesus. All the sacrificial animals that were sacrificed were a picture of Jesus that was, was to come, which took away our sins, the sins of the world. He shed his blood for us. And so what happens in this story, God provides the sacrifice. God provides, and Abraham put his confidence in God's provision. God, Abraham put his confidence in God's promise, and this is what you and I must do in order for our faith to be remembered. You know, there's this phenomenal uh, chapter in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. We won't go there now for time's sake, but you can read it. Maybe many of you will be familiar with this chapter. Hebrews chapter 11 is basically the record of men and women throughout the story, throughout the narrative of Scripture that put their faith in God. It's the faith chapter of Scripture. By faith, you know, you hear about Rahab. By faith, you hear about David, about Solomon, about David, about Abraham, about all these individuals that by faith, Noah, and what they did by putting their trust in God's word, by putting their confidence in the promises of God. I like to, I like to think of that chapter this way. Hebrews chapter 11 is God's remembrance. This is what God remembers. God decides to remember the faith of these individuals. And when I read through Hebrews chapter 11, I read about Rahab, and I remember something else from the story in, Gen uh, the, story in the Old Testament. I remember that she was a harlot. Uh, I read about David, and I remember something else from the Old Testament. Uh, I remember that he, was, he lied and he committed adultery. He committed murder. Uh, I read about Samson, and I remember a different story in the Old Testament. But God, ultimately, when it all comes together and we ask the question, what does God remember? He remembers your faith. He remembers when you put your confidence in his word and in his promise. And then the covenant is established. I will remember your sins no more. You put your confidence in my word. You rest assured that I will bring it to pass and I will remember your sins no more. What is it that you are carrying tonight with you that you want God to forget? Is there something in your life, some chapter in your experience that you just think to yourself right now, I wish... God would forget that. And you know, God knows everything. He knows what you're doing. He sees you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's nothing you can hide from God. What you think you can hide from someone else, you can't hide from God. God knows what, you, what websites you are visiting on your computer. God knows what, what movies you might be watching when no one else sees. God knows what thoughts you have towards certain scenarios and situations. God knows what books you're reading. Whatever you're doing, God knows. He knows everything. And at the same time, instead of condemnation, God is inviting you to surrender. He's inviting you to surrender. And he says, come to me, come to me. Put your confidence in me. And whatever chapter you have in your experience that you want to have forgotten, I'll forget that. I'll forget that. I'll remember your faith. I'll remember that you put your confidence in my word. That's what I want to remember. And so tonight, if there's anything in your life 
that you want have that that you want to say, God, please forget this, and please remember my faith. What a beautiful moment here at a week of prayer that we can recommit our lives to Him. Amen. What a beautiful moment that we can say, God, I want you to remember that I trust you, that I trust your word. Though what your word says, many times I think to myself, it seems impossible for my life. And you know, when we say that to God, it seems impossible. God, God can handle that because he knows it is impossible for us in our own strength. That's the very point that he wants to bring you to, that you see that it's not possible in your own strength, but you say, you know what? I put my confidence in your power, in your strength. How many here tonight want to say, you know what, I have a chapter in my experience. You don't have to tell me what that chapter is. God knows. But I have a chapter in my experience I want God to forget. And, and you know, I want God to remember that I put my faith in his word this evening. How many of you want to say that? I, I want God to remember that. Amen. Amen. Why don't we have a special prayer that God will enable us to have the experience of Abraham, to implicitly trust his word all the way, however difficult it may seem at times, to build our lives upon the firm foundation of God's word. Amen? Why don't we kneel together? If it's possible, I would really like to, to close our, our time together this, this evening with a word of prayer, and, and if we can kneel, that would be wonderful. Father in heaven, we, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you for the amazing story of Abraham this man that you used mightily in the past. But Lord, we also realize that you are not a respecter of people and that just as you used Abraham, so you want to use us today. And as Abraham put his trust in your promise, so we want to put our trust in your promises. Lord, your word, the scriptures are full of promises. And though they at times for us may seem impossible, and truly they are impossible in our own strength, Lord, we believe that you can establish these promises in our life. And we believe that you can forget the chapters because you have promised to do so, that um, uh, in which we have gone our own way. And Father, just help us to put our confidence in your word. And may we, in the light of all of this, experience the unhindered gospel. May we see Jesus for who he is, the one that has come to this life, lived a perfect life, died the death, uh, and paid our price of, of, of all our sins and shortcomings so that we can trust in that perfect sacrifice. Oh Lord, may we trust him and may we bear the fruits in our lives of that true repentance as we come to the foot of the cross. Lord, thank you that we can lay before you those things in our life that we would be ashamed about if anyone else knew, but we know that you know and thank you that you take that that you remove that, Lord, by the blood of the Lamb, that you cleanse us and that you give us a new start. Thank you, Lord, for this confidence that you have um, put in, in, not, not, not in, not in us, because in us there is no confidence to be gained, but the very promise that you have given through your Son that we can take a hold of. May this be our confidence. May this be our strength. May this be the very uh, driving force of our lives. And so thank you, Lord, that we can come before you tonight. Thank you for this week of prayer. Thank you for the ways that you've been speaking to us so far. Uh, thank you for the impressions of your Holy Spirit upon our lives and help us to discern your voice and be moved by your Spirit. For I ask this and pray this in your precious name and let everyone say, Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse 
a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio, and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.